The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Merciful God, send your spirit to us, wearied by the changes and chances of life. Speak your internal word of grace and summon us to faithfulness. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. This is a reading from the second letter to the Corinthians. Listen for God's word to you. We don't need letters of introduction to you or from you like other people, do we? You are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us. You weren't written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. You weren't written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is the confidence that we have through Christ in the presence of God. It isn't that we ourselves are qualified to claim that anything came from us. No, our qualification is from God. God has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant, not based on what is written, but on the Spirit, because what is written kills, but the Spirit gives life. The ministry that brought death was carved in letters on stone tablets. It came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't look for long at Moses' face because his face was shining with glory, even though it was a fading glory. Won't the ministry of the Spirit be much more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation has glory, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? In fact, what was glorious isn't glorious now because of the glory that is brighter. If the glory that fades away was glorious, how much more glorious is the one that lasts? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the prophet Jeremiah. O land, O land, O land, hear the word of the Holy One. The time is coming, declares the Holy One, when I will plant seeds in Israel and Judah, and both people and animals will spring up, just as I watched over them, 
to dig up and pull down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and plant, declares the Holy One. In those days, people will no longer say, sour grapes eaten by parents leave a bitter taste in the mouths of their children. Because everyone will die for their own sins. Whoever eats sour grapes will have a bitter taste in their own mouths. The time is coming, declares the Holy One, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant with me, even though I married them, declares the Holy One. No, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Holy One. I will put my Torah within them and engrave it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will no longer need to teach each other, to say, know the Holy One, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Holy One. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sins. The Holy One proclaims, the one who established the sun to light up the day and ordered the moon and stars to light up the night, who stirs up the sea into crashing waves, whose name is the Holy One of heavenly forces. If the created order should vanish from my sight, declares the Holy One, only then would Israel's descendants ever stop being a nation before me. The Holy One proclaims, if the heavens above could be measured and the foundations of the earth below could be fathomed, only then would I reject Israel's descendants for what they have done, declares the Holy One. Word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Did you all read Aunt Edna's latest email. Between reporting on her tomato plants heavy with fruit and a sweet reminder to wash your hands now, we're not done with this virus yet. Dear Aunt Edna wrote about her church's new pastor. She's a lovely minister, a bright young woman with lots of energy. On her first Sunday, she gave a beautiful sermon about Jesus' words, love one another. She preached about how God loves us and how ordinary people can show extraordinary love. Really, with all the bad news lately, it was so encouraging. But the next Sunday, you'll never believe what she did. She stepped into the pulpit and preached the same sermon, love one another, word for word. Without blinking an eye, she repeated the same stories about 
ordinary people showing extraordinary love. Well, you know, I cornered her in the receiving line after service. I spoke my mind. Pastor, I expect a different sermon this Sunday. Without missing a beat, she smiled and said, I'll preach on something else when we figure out love one another. We are lucky we do not attend Aunt Edna's church because speaking for myself, after years of hearing about love and thinking about love, I still haven't learned to move in the rhythm of Jesus's words, love one another. So much for God's law of love, the Torah being written on my heart. Jeremiah's vision about a new covenant is from the same section we read from last week, the scroll of comfort. Yet, whereas God fulfilled the promise to gather the people from exile, from north and south, from east and west, the world is still waiting on this week's promise. They will no longer need to teach each other to say, know the Holy One, because they will all know me. I'm reminded of Maya Angelou, the poet, who said, when you know better, you do better. Well, we're still working on both. Paul, on the other hand, was convinced that God was making good on that promise in his lifetime. He wrote to the Corinthians, you are our letter. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us. You weren't written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. You weren't written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Imagine meeting someone whose only reference point for Jesus was you, your words, your actions. Ask yourself, would my life be legible? Would people have to squint to see Christ? And how soon would it take for your palms to begin to sweat? Mine are clammy just thinking about it. Just thinking about the chicken scratch in my life that folks would have to decipher if they bothered at all. And if they did glean anything from that chicken scratch, there's a fair chance it could kill them. You've got to appreciate the guts of any religion that seeks wisdom from a collection of writings that includes the statement, what is written kills, or perhaps just savor the irony. Regardless, Paul's words have echoed down through the ages as a warning against relying on surface readings. If what you read only rings in your ears without touching your heart, then you're not likely to encounter anything life-giving. 
That's why we pray every Sunday as Tim did before reading the scriptures, because we need the Spirit's hearing aids to make sense of all the sound and fury. If that's the case with the scriptures, then what about my life? If I am hard to read, chances are slim that others are going to glimpse the radical and radiant love of Christ. More often than not, we who are Christians send messages that stifle the very hope that Christ offers. Again, look at Paul and his awkward comparison of God's covenant faithfulness in Christ to God's covenant faithfulness to Moses at Mount Sinai. On the surface, it looks like Paul is making a crude contrast. Christianity, good. Judaism, bad. It's not hard for people to twist these words to say that the Holy One is no longer faithful to our Jewish neighbors. The fancy name for such a distorted way of thinking is a mouthful. Supersessionism. Supersessionism looks like the writer Justin, who lived only a hundred years after Paul, arguing that the church is the new Israel and that the prophets were really talking about Christ and Christianity. Supersessionism gladly takes the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah, but ignores that later verse, the verse that says, if only the heavens above could be measured and the foundation of the earth below could be fathomed, only then would I reject Israel's descendants. Supersessionism contradicts what Paul wrote to the Romans, that God incorporates non-Jewish believers into the covenant just like an arborist grafting branches onto an olive tree. Supersessionism spawns inquisitions and pogroms, the Holocaust and synagogue shootings. Supersessionism means to chop down that olive tree. I could go on. We all could, because we all know our bloody history. We all know our own shortcomings. We're trying to know better, trying to do better, which is one way to tell that the spirit is stirring within. But listen again for the Spirit speaking through Jeremiah. In those days, people will no longer say, sour grapes eaten by parents leave a bitter taste in the mouths of their children. Listen, the time is coming when I will plant seeds in Israel and Judah. I will watch over them to build 
and plant, declares the Holy One. Listen, I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sins. Friends, I hear the Spirit inciting us to celebrate God's faithfulness, which transformed the lives of exiles and extends to the present and into the future. I hear the Spirit whispering that God's faithfulness includes those of us beyond the nation of Israel by the grace of Jesus Christ. God's love made flesh as a Palestinian Jew. I hear the Spirit singing of the day when sour grapes from centuries past will no longer linger on our taste buds, when the mouths of children will no longer taste the bitterness of supersessionism and racism and enslaving poverty. I hear the Spirit sigh with the peace of forgiveness, a peace that doesn't require us to be perfect, a peace that encourages us to pray the old prayer of St. Patrick, Christ in the eyes of those who see me, Christ in the ears of those who hear me. You and I are letters of Christ, yes, but we are not the first piece of correspondence. No, the original and best letter is the Holy One's message to us, which is nothing less than God's own self, creator, Christ, and spirit, given before we knew how to read or write. Such a gift brings to mind another letter, one that my colleague Corla found recently while sorting through her files. It was addressed to her on August 28, 1987, the day her parents announced that they were pregnant. Corla's father broke the news by shouting, everyone, come down and see what's growing in Susan's belly. The letter noted how Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev was planning to meet with President Reagan and commented on how Paul Molitor of the Milwaukee Brewers had his 39-game hitting streak ended by a rookie pitcher. And finally, finally, the letter said, we are all looking forward to meeting you. You're in prayers already. Signed, a friend, Joe Lynch. Before she was born, Corla had a friend. Before she was born, a precarious and precious world was waiting to welcome her. Before she was born, prayers lifted her up to the one who already loved her. Such is the grace of the Holy One, which goes before us, which challenges us, and in the end, 
will heal all creation. For such grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to God, the fire of righteousness, the shepherd of exiles, who renews the covenant, engraving love on our hearts. Amen.